In today's episode, I am chatting with life coach and podcast host Tasha Skillen, and she is a coach for recovering perfectionists, people pleasers, and productivity junkies. So this is really speaks to me on so many levels. Tasha's story is fascinating because she actually became a coach and had a passion for helping productivity junkies after being bedbound for two years with a chronic illness and finding her own path back. She now helps women with these same tendencies to avoid the burnout and fatigue and debilitating illness that she herself experienced. It's a really great chat. She has so many nuggets of wisdom, and I just know you're going to love it. Here we go. to the Around the Campfire podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child, but I believe it also takes a village to raise a mom. I'm your host, Jillian Benke, the founder of Mom Camp, and each episode I chat with busy moms who are doing awesome things in life and work. Join us for real conversation and community, because this is your village. This is the Around the Campfire podcast. Hi, Tasha, and welcome to the Around the Campfire podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Me too. As we were saying before we hit record, I feel like there's a million conversations we could have. So who knows which direction this will go in, but I, I think we have a pretty good handle on what we want to chat about today. I'm super excited. So can you start by introducing yourself and who you're a mom to, all of the things? Yeah. So uh, my name is Tasha Skillen, and I am a mom to LJ, who is 14, and Ainsley will be 11 uh, on Christmas Eve. And they are hilarious and delightful and teaching me things all the time. Um, lovely way and of putting I'm a, it. Would you say? A <laughs> lovely way of putting it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so I'm a life coach for perfectionists, recovering perfectionists, people pleasers, and productivity junkies. And I know how to do that because I'm actively practicing that every day. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So assuming there was a story there that led you to doing this work because you can now demonstrate what you know. So yeah. take us back, explain that a little bit. Yeah. So I grew up in an entrepreneurship family. And mm -hmm. so I watched my dad work really hard, mm -hmm. long hours, seven days a week to build his business. That was an extension of his dad's business, which was from, you know, immigrant family. So like wow. the very American story of immigrants coming to America and then the family business growing and starting with nothing and all of these pieces. So in Love that is very common, the work harder, work longer, and that's how you're successful. So I was five working in working in my dad's yeah. office with him, um, you know, hanging out while he's doing it. And I just watched him work really hard. So entrepreneurship has been in my day-to-day -day life experience for forever. And in that, I was also the oldest of four kids. And so, and by a lot, I was me. And then seven years later, it oh, was wow. the three of them in like four years. Yeah. So I was in a very real way, kind of co-parenting with my mom while my mm. dad was building the business. And so I um, learned to do a lot of things for a long time as moms do, right? Like that's what we, that's what we do. And I, because of how probably chaotic it was to have mm -hmm. that many kids and no one there to help along with, you know, mental health challenges that we had in our family. I learned that my, my worth was how much it could get done in a day. Right. And I watched my dad be rewarded by working hard and long financially and with his, 
you know, network in his business. Um, but I, looking back, I can see that it was, I really wanted people to feel seen and heard and entrepreneurship was just the vehicle to get there. Mm. So I got to the point where I needed to reevaluate what I was doing after a long uh, 15 years of being in direct sales business where you are recognized for doing the most work. Yep. Um, you're recognized for your achievements, not for the process or the journey. Right. And that fed right into my predisposition of how do I feel loved? How do I feel accepted? How do I feel seen? Mm-hmm. And man, from 23 to 35, I rode that hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, in that process, I was so focused on proving that I could produce um, and for, forego, forego, I would forego, you know, time with my family and, mm-hmm. and time with my husband for date nights and all of these pieces so that I could make sure I was providing enough because, you know, financial security as an entrepreneur is always a thing we're seeking. And that was how I was going to prove to myself and everyone else that I was good enough to do who knows what, <laughs> to be loved, to be accepted, to be any of those things. And that's all how I was going to you know, provide for my kids too. And, um, I did it for so long and didn't listen to myself at all, trying to fit into all these boxes that, um, about 12 years in, I started not feeling well. And I would have, I was having these bouts of like flu, like symptoms for sometimes 10, 14 days. And then, then it got to where it was like a month long Oh wow! and I couldn't get a bet. And the business I was, I was in, I was a top leader. I was an advisory board on the company. I was traveling, doing corporate trainings. And so I had kind of a high demand be on kind of mm-hmm. position in addition to doing my own actual personal business, two or three shows a week. And I wasn't able to go. Um, wow. I was having to give parties away, which meant decrease in our income. Um, my husband was having to take care of me plus our two little ones at the time. And uh, it just kept getting you know, worse and worse and worse. And I kept, I, even in that, I was like, nope, I, I have to work because that's, that's what I do. That's who I am. That's, that's what needs to happen. And I got to the point where I was literally lying in bed after doctors have said, you're healthy as a horse because nothing was showing up on the traditional blood work. You're healthy as a horse, even though I felt like I'd hit by, hit by a truck. I was, I'd foregone going to a national convention, a, a, a national event we look forward to every year. It's where we get celebrated. It's where our teams get celebrated. Mm-hmm. Like all this hard work that I've been doing for all those years was right. going to be finally recognized. You to walk across the stage or whatever yes. it is. Yep. Yep. Get the cheered whole thing. on, yep. keep screaming, all those things. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't go. I couldn't, I couldn't travel. So I was lying in bed watching the live mm. cast of this thinking I'll listen to that while I just do some work. I mean, I'm literally lying in bed, not at the event. And I'm like, oh no, I'm going to work because that's right. what, that's what I need to do. And at my my hands had been the only thing that hadn't been hurting and they started aching and I couldn't type anymore. My body, body was saying, was saying that oh, is man. enough. Yeah. <laughs> and so what happened for the next three years is I declined even more and more and more and ended up bed bound for about oh two my years. God. Oh my um, God. Yeah. Did they ever um, diagnose it? Like what? Well, eventually I got diagnosed with something called ME, which is myalgic encephalomyelitis. Oh, wow. Um, it's a current version of chronic fatigue syndrome. Okay. Um, but there's some mitochondrial genetic components to it. There's not a lot of research on it. And I'm sure you know this, but women's health is not well oh, researched. Yeah. And yeah, so it's, yeah. since it's a predominantly female condition, 
Lot less as is chronic fatigue syndrome when they yes. were diagnosing it as well. I guess that was more of an umbrella and now they have a little bit more information. Yeah. And and this is more of an umbrella as well. Okay. Um, to be honest with you, the more I've, I've learned about who is diagnosed with it, there's like yeah. 13 subcategories of it. So it's not, there's not a, a treatment that kind of goes across the board. Right. What I know now is that it was burnout. I mean, that's what it is. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Okay. Yeah. So in bed for two years, well, mm-hmm. bed bound. Do yeah. Did you stop working? <laughs> I had to. Okay. I had to close. I had had at that point started also doing a coaching business because I had started to start to listen to myself. I had started to hear myself okay. just a little bit, just enough to like quench that thirst of honoring myself. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't willing to let go of the financial security. I, right. I didn't trust myself enough to make that successful yet. Like, you know, all these internal oh, yeah. beliefs I was struggling with. And I had to shut them both down because I couldn't show for either one of them. Wow. Yeah. And so then I was left with nothing yeah. in my head. That's what I thought. Like, I got nothing right. now. So Did you actually leave the direct sales business? Well, so. Or because, I mean, it comes with so much residual income. Like, I, yeah. I used to be quite involved in one. And yes. so I understand the model, right? Well, and that's what we're told, right? That, that you have all this residual income. Yeah. So build your team, build, yeah. build, build right. so that you have residual income. So you won't have to do the intense work that you're doing right. to build it. The reality is- um, Disappears pretty fast. Well, the residual income was there, but when you are building relationships on a codependency model where the value is only what you give, it's not a two-way exchange. Mm-hmm. There's no- and you stop being able to give, people don't want you around anymore. Yep. And so I actually got terminated by the company. What? Uh, two months after I was diagnosed because my team members, I had told my team members earlier on in that calendar year that I would be phasing out, going into coaching full-time before I was got as sick as I got. And um, they were fine until I mm. said, I need to stick around cause I can't work now. So I need this residual income and they didn't like that. Yeah. So I've never up- heard, I mean, I, the company I was with wouldn't do that unless you had violated terms. They would not, ne- I can't even believe that. I didn't even when know there was, was a, a technicality thing. that they, that they burned me on. There was a technicality um, that, you know, a lot of the top leaders didn't have any, any, reprimandation, reprimand, reprimand, we're not reprimanded for, um, that was minor. That was just in the contract Mm. to do things like this. Um, so anyway, you know, that was a lot of stress on our family. We went from having a six figure income that was supplied by my being able to do these things to no income. Wow. And I was chronically ill. I couldn't get out of bed most days. Oh my gosh. And your husband was still working. He had started working part-time when I started getting sick okay. and then then took on two jobs, but he also had to take care of our two small kids and me because I couldn't stand up for very long. No, exactly. So with ME and those of you familiar with chronic fatigue syndrome, it's people talk about the spoon theory, but I find it more effective to talk about like a cell phone battery. So like you plug your phone in overnight, ideally (laughs) with the current phone, you'll get up to hundred percent. Right. And if people, healthy people are sleeping through an, a long night, a regular mm-hmm. sleep cycle, they'll wake up and have a hundred percent battery to start the day. Yeah. When you have CFS or ME, you wake up at 60% or uh, at 40%. And so you don't get through the day right. and you don't have the energy to start. And so we're, I was operating at a 40% battery when I woke up in the morning. And so by noon I was dragging, had to sleep for three hours. And so wow. it's 
it was exhausting. Okay. So how did you come through it? Cause you are sitting up and full of energy now. So oh, yeah. Can't hold me back you- now. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm 80% recovered now. There's still a lot of okay. things that I have to do on a day-to-day basis to keep, to take care of myself. And it took so much work on boundaries, so much work on my husband and I communicating better about mm. how our household was functioning, um, boundaries with our kids so that I could have the rest and, and they learned to, you know, take care of the things they could take care of. Um, but it, it was me sitting uncomfortably in my bed for the better part of nine months with nothing to do, but think about what I've done. Um, think about, you know, what did I miss out on? Why am I in this space? Because I don't believe things happen by accident. Mm -hmm. So I knew something had led you there. Something happened. Um, and in addition to getting, I just, I ended up also realizing, finding out that I just got a crappy set of jeans on, on one side. And so <laughs> okay. those jeans got flipped on. But the other side of that is that wouldn't have happened had I been taking care of myself those 14 right. years. Have I been resting, playing, enjoying things rather than just always thinking about how to be productive. And so yeah. for those nine months, I started looking at all the ways that I could get better. Cause I was told I wouldn't, I was told that there is no heal. There's no cure for this. Oh, you're man. You're, luck- you're going to be lucky if you don't get worse is what I was told. Well, that's so, inspiring. Yeah. Thank you, medical <laughs> well, system. Right. Welcome <laughs> to the medical world, right? <laughs> yeah. So I was told that and my husband had known that I've been one, wanting to write a book for a long time and I'd never got to it, right? Because it's right that we all know that writing a book does not pour in millions right away. No. And so um, he helped me sign up for a writer's workshop by Hay House. I went down to a workshop in Florida, took the train down there, made sure I had all the precautions. My sister came with me. And so for the next six months, after I got my diagnosis through the spring and I got terminated from my company in January. So mm. it was crazy six months of compacted shifts. Yeah. I was writing a book about gratitude and why people don't express gratitude why we are scared to say thank you to people in our lives and those kinds of things. And that daily practice of thinking about gratitude while Mm -hmm. also exploring all the possible ways I could get better because I wasn't willing to accept that at 37, I was done. Fair, Um, good. Yeah. (laughs) My kids were, I think, nine and seven, nine and Mm. six at the time. And that was just not enough. Nope. I need more time with them. So in all of that, I started learning how to meditate. I started... Um, cause I'd always told, always told myself that I couldn't sit still long enough to meditate. Yep. That's what we tell ourselves when we're productivity junkies. Yep. Um, and just learned about self-care and about being versus doing and, and just really had to go inward cause there was nowhere else to go. I was stuck with yeah. myself in bed for 18 hours a day. Holy cow. Yeah. So as you started to think about how you were coming out of that and what made you decide to help others that are now, I mean, likely most of your clients are not experiencing chronic illness um, or fatigue of that magnitude, but you identified that you were a productivity junkie and a people pleaser and a perfectionist and all of those things. So what made you turn around and say, aha, I can help people? Well, I had started coaching. I look back now and it's so, so clear, so clear. The things we can see in hindsight, when I was doing direct sales, I hated the sales, the products part of it. Uh-huh. I loved the coaching part. I loved helping women because the topic I was, I was in direct sales was sexual health and wellness. Oh, okay. And so I was helping women through 
really vulnerable topics and really vulnerable conversations. And I loved that part, helping women feel safe to say things that they are scared to say so they can move on to the next, next chapter of whatever that looks like for themselves. But I also loved the team coaching. So mm. I was just swallowed up in all of this helping there. And the products were just a vehicle to get me to be able to do those things. Okay. So I had started coaching, you know, before I got sick, helping with a much broader spectrum of just helping people find some alignment and finding clarity of what they wanted. Cause I had, like I said earlier, I had an inkling that there was something that I was missing and I was curious and that would give me a reason to look past that or look into it. And so when I was lying in bed, I realized, oh, I'm supposed to figure out how to not have this happen. Mm. And when I get well, I will have the story to say, hey, you can do this too. So now I need to do explore all the options and get the shortest path from that that mindset, that belief that you have to be, you have to do something to be able to be you know, valuable and, and loved. And so that was, that just became, I got to find the shortest path. What are the things that I figured out? So people don't have to be bed bound. So moms yeah. don't have to look back and go, I don't remember what happened for my daughter's eighth birthday because I was in bed or I don't have to miss another performance at school because I was in bed because they don't have wheelchair access. Like I, and I, one of the other aspects of ME is that you can't handle sounds or light um, certain times, like just in, in random oh, wow. places so for hours. So I couldn't go where they're going to be clapping for my kids because it would throw me into a flare up. Wow. And so all of these things I miss, I'm like, I never, I, I never want another mom to have to have to choose whether they're going to be in bed for a week and a half yeah. for going yeah. to a half an hour performance and having to make those choices for their kids that, you know, you only get these years once. Well, no kidding. That is, and I mean, it's such an extreme example. It also makes me think though, do you work with women or do you find that you encounter women that um, it's not a chronic illness, but they are so addicted to the busy and the productive and work, work, work is my worth that they might miss the kid's birthday because of work. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's how it started for me. You know, I am grateful that I can look back and see that I made my kids, I made the choice to be with my kids in moments that I could have not. And I saw other peers mm. choosing otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I still made choices that in the moment I was physically there, but I was also thinking about what I needed yeah. to hurry up to get to. And so right. I wasn't present. My kids didn't really know but I know that I missed that moment. I missed that eye contact. Yeah. I miss watching my daughter understand something about herself that she, that was new for her. You know, I miss those mm -hmm. moments that I'm never going to get back. And yeah. so that part is the part that I, I just, I want to avoid as many women as possible missing those moments. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was in the direct sales business actively that I was in, I'm still connected to it because I still use mm -hmm. the product, but, mm -hmm. um, I got to a point where my family moments, this is horrible to admit, became about what I could Instagram. Yep. My husband says that he was so grateful when I got terminated because he knew I would never yeah. leave because right. it was such a, it was such an, a continuation of family for me. It's a family that I created yeah. for myself of out course. of the family I wish I had had. And so he was so grateful you know, she didn't say that then because that would have got, not gone well. Right. It was grateful later on because everything we did had to have some kind of spin on it. Yeah. Like how can we, what does this mean about the business? And I'm always talking to someone to great, bring business in and, and nobody could just be a friend. It had to be a friend who was going to then be a hostess or be a consultant. Right. Like, 
there's always some tie to working and being more productive rather than just being humans connecting yeah. to humans. And yeah. I, I have heard so many people who have shared what you just shared and what I talked about after the fact as well. And yeah. it's embarrassing to admit that that was something that we chose with that we put mm. our families through and all these pieces, but it's real. It's, it's yeah. coming from a place of not understanding our worth because we're told constantly that our worth is always giving and always doing, yeah. not just being. Well, and trying to achieve to look like something, right? Like to match the persona that goes with that. And I mean, luckily for, for me, as soon as I realized I was doing it, I stopped. Um, but it, and we've got to do a lot of really cool things because right. I wanted yes. to document them. So the kids yes. had good experiences, but I, I, I became very aware that I was starting to get into that pattern of thinking about how will this benefit the business? Now, I never went down the road of approaching friends like it, they would be cold contacts that I, like I might make a friend on Facebook because they said they were interested in something I was doing, but, but then they would have been a contact directly for business. I never approached friends directly. So oh, I, kept, you. I kept that separate. <laughs> it just, it didn't feel that part never felt right for me, but, but yeah, it's, it still got awkward with some friends because I wouldn't even want to talk to them about it. And they'd ask me and I'd be like, okay, but I don't really want to talk to you about this. Like, oh, that's just, great. I did not. So, that was not my experience. <laughs> I went wow. the other direction. And wow. I think in hindsight, I think I lost friendships because yeah. of how obsessed I was to be the best at this thing. Right. Right. Yeah. It just, man, oh man. Okay. So now what are the biggest sort of things that you see with your clients that you can help them through? Like, where do you kind of start with, with these moms that are going through this and having these experiences? So one of the challenging parts about talking to perfectionists is that we tend to be very black and white thinkers. Mm. Um, it's this or it's that. There's right and there's wrong. There's good and there's bad. And there isn't human messiness. That's not, right. that's not we don't have time for that. <laughs> we, have, we have to get it right. And so it's having the conversation of rules. It's what it boiled down to for me. I was lying in bed looking and saying, what got me here? And it's my belief that I had to do this one thing because this is what I was told was the right way to do it. Mm. Rather than saying, what's the most effective way for me to, to have this experience? You know, Going inward is something I never learned how to do. And most of us aren't. I think most of us are taught to obey. That's what we learn yeah. as kids. We obey, we obey, we, and in schools, we, we follow we instructions. standards. Yeah. And so we're not taught as kids to listen to ourselves. We're, we're born with that ability. If you look at any toddler and you know, they're not thinking about what we think about anything. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, there's a beauty to that, that I think if we can heal ourselves from that piece, we can then help our kids stay in touch with their inner, inner mm. voice or inner guidance, and also be socially appropriate. And there can be that marrying of those things. So when I'm talking to, you know, my community and our, and our clients, it's asking them what it is that they feel like is mm. off because it's different. There's a different entry point for all of us. It's true. Um, you know, sometimes it's money. Sometimes the lack of security, you know, in self comes from what they're parents are going to think even at our mm -hmm. ages, even at mm -hmm. 40, 50, 60 years old, pe people are still worried about what their parents are going to think of them. And so it's, it's getting clear about who it is that they're worried about not pleasing, whose rules they think they're breaking. Um, and 
what a gray area, what, what the gray area threatens about them, you know, about mm. their existence and who they are. And so asking those questions can get um, a little triggering for a lot of us as perfectionists. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, uh, my mantra has become done is better than perfect. I think I'm a productivity junkie and a recovering people pleaser, but I uh -huh. think I've overcome the perfectionism piece because I, I realized through my professional work that you're never going to please hundred percent of the people all the time. Right. And so my benchmark became, I'm going to go for 75% of the yeah, people. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Right. Because, because I, my work is um, event planning, community relations. It was marketing as part of that as well. And I knew somebody was always going to have a problem with something in the messaging or somebody was going to have a complaint about an yes. event we put on. And as long as we were safe for the events and secure, <laughs> and then we could please 75% of the people. And it sounds like a oh, way to, way to aim high Jillian, but that's real. Otherwise I would take those criticisms so personally and feel like I failed because somebody complained about the washrooms, even though they were fine, but they were 20 feet too far away. Right. right. Like yeah. I would take that stuff so personally for so long and beat myself up about it so much that I had to just say, I am never going to please everybody. So I'm going to do the best I can. And if we had 75, we win. Right. And that is a huge shift. It's, it's enormous because that, it allows you to actually get things done. <laughs> well, that's it. Right. That's it. And so one of the things with that too, is deciding who gets to be part of who you poll mm -hmm. you know, with work. It's a little bit different than in our personal lives, because yes. I've also come to that conclusion that you have like work-wise, you know, when we're building, building social media accounts, yeah, there are going to be people that follow and then unfollow because they don't like my language or they don't like Fine. my perspective. And, cool peace. I want you yeah. to go find your people. That's great. Yeah. But the people pleasing that I'm seeing that is stopping non-entrepreneurs, non, you know, you know, influencers is parents, partners, yeah. and siblings in mm -hmm. addition to friends. And so then figuring out who it is that gets to have a voice in, yes. in what it is. Well, because, go ahead. sorry, go, no, you go ahead. Sorry. I was going to introduce interrupt you. <laughs> we, we are told in addition, we've told so many mixed messages. One of the things we get told is don't care what about any, don't care about what anybody else thinks. Yeah. Just, just do what you think you right. need to do, but that's not realistic. Humans aren't meant to operate in a silo. No. We do care what people think. And honestly, we should care what other people think, but we have to be aligned. Those people have to be aligned with what is best for us. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think one of the things that we focus on a lot in my coaching programs is who gets to be in the front row of your cheering section. I love that. And what are the qualifications? Like get mm -hmm. really clear about what the qualifications are to have a, a vote in how you show up in the world. Yeah. I've heard and, of people saying they're like, who's on their personal board of directors. Yes. Right. Like same sort of thing. I yeah. was just going to add to it though. Like for me, one of the things, cause there's siblings, there's parents, there's friends, there's even kids, but it's also yourself. Oh, yeah. I, um, I went live in our membership yesterday and I said, you know, I want you to ask yourself as you see the stress rising through the holiday season, um, when you feel these expectations at, stop and ask yourself, are they real? Right. And are they coming from external parents, friends, siblings, whatever, or are they yep. coming from yourself because of the shoulds, right? Like I always talk about the shoulds and where does that come from? Because 
And I think some of it comes from social media because you look and oh, say, yeah. well, I should have a perfectly clean kitchen because clearly that mother doesn't have all the crap shoved to the side to take her beautiful photo, <laughs> right? Like clearly she has a perfect kitchen all the time with matching children's outfits and all of that, right? Yeah. So, you know, you feel like you should be better. You should be doing more. So it's a self-imposed expectation, right? It's so it is, but it came from somewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that I think is the part that helps so many women figure that out is yes, I think I should do this, but who told me that first? Because if a toddler was never told you should be this thing, they wouldn't mm-hmm. consider what these rules are. Right. But do you think so? Like, so I'm thinking of like influencers who have like uh-huh. the perfect kitchen or the beautiful yeah, sure. living room. And especially now when they're having when we're recording shoes. this, yeah. it's yeah. Christmas and everything looks immaculate. Right. Where are the toys? Where is the crap? <laughs> but you know, so I don't know that anybody told me that that was desirable. I don't like, I don't know that where that person. came from. Implicitly, yeah. Yeah. Like I like, but I somehow developed this, like I would be better if my house looked like that, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know whoever put that on me. Um, I, I don't know if it's the number of followers they have yeah, or if it's the recognition they're receiving in other ways that's telling me that. Like, it's just, it's, sorry, this is a tangent, but it's well, interesting. But it's relevant because yeah. it tells us how, you know, we're humans, we're, we're, we compare each other, to, ourselves to each other all the time because that's yeah. how yeah. we, we keep the society moving the way it is, right? It's, it's how true. we keep things moving. But I think it has also, I think there's another factor in addition to what you're saying we're seeing these women because that's who we're comparing yeah. ourselves to other moms because we're always comparing our yep. mom ability. Um, they look happy in this, <laughs> in yes. this clean room. Everybody's their, smiling. Yes. <laughs> and you didn't see the 10 minutes before that when they're screaming, trying to get the crap out. Don't put that down. I just cleaned this. Like the, right. the, we, we're, we don't, we don't remember that when we're scrolling, we're seeing literally half of a second Absolutely. of a 24-hour period. Yeah. And it's impossible to constantly remind ourselves of that when we're seeing, we're consuming so many pieces mm-hmm. of that information. And so one of the things that I challenge my my coaching membership programs to members to do is to intentionally go follow people who are talking about being messy. Yes. Go follow people who are talking about the, the, the gross, dirty real life of being a mom so that you have that mixed in with the, also the things that you like to be inspired by. Totally. Totally. It's it's funny. I can't remember the account. I just started following it recently, but their whole thing is how to clean difficult things. Like it's like, and they do like crazy home deep cleaning stuff. And and I wish I could remember what it was. Um, and one of the favorite things I have is that you see the crap before, like you get to see the transformation yes. and am I going to go and deep clean my oven racks in the bathtub with whatever product she used? <laughs> Probably not. But the fact that she, at some point, let hers get that dirty makes me feel really good. <laughs> like it's just, you know. Yes. And that is real. That's true. Yeah. 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 But I mean, she yeah. is very inspiring and does a lot of things, but you know, that's actually coming, circling back to the productivity junkie piece, actually. Mm-hmm. That's something that I've been struggling with since the pandemic began and I started to work at home, right? I no longer, I mean, I used to have a very finite part of the morning before I went to work when I would do some work on mom camp stuff. And Mm -hmm. before that it was the direct sales business. And then I would do my workout and then I would get ready for work, get the kids ready. I would head out the door and then I would be working for a finite period of time. Luckily I have a job that I can leave at work, right? 
back when it was at work. And then I would come home and maybe I'd do a little bit of work on my business in the evening. Usually not, uh, depending on what was going on. And so that was all very manageable. And then it all started to bleed into each other as soon as the pandemic hit and we all became at home. And so now I find it very hard to get up from the computer and to go do virtually anything else because I want to be productive and accomplishing things. Yes. Right. And so it's, and I've put myself, I've actually forced myself to have some off time because I've committed that I am making 10 Santa toques for our family for the zoom call that we will have for Christmas. So I sent a toque. Um, well, I can show you on the thing, but that wouldn't help our listeners. Um, it's literally like a loom, a knitting loom, and I'm knitting a toque that's a white band and then red wool and then a puffy puff. Like, so they're Santa hats, but they're toques. Like, sorry, you don't know what a toque is. Sorry. You're in America. (laughs) So that's a Canadian word. I just realized it's a beanie. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. It's a winter hat. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Sorry. I forgot. That's a word that I just, it's my Canadianism's coming out. So it's it. a, it's a Santa beanie. Okay. Right. So I've committed to making 10 of these things. They take about three hours each if I was to do it in one sitting. So I've sort of forced this downtime <laughs> where I have to stop working, but otherwise it's really hard to get away from your computer. And, and so how do you recommend people, you know, enforce business hours when they're all now working from home? Yeah. So what you did for yourself is exactly the first thing that I would recommend is creating, creating the time where you're not working is much easier than trying to tame the hours Mm -hmm. that you do want to work. Okay. And so for me and our, our whole house, the practice is creating time where we're not on devices. We're not doing anything productive. It's literally the time where you, you are doing art, you're Mm. listening to music, you're listening to podcast, something that is creative without an end goal. Because in my productivity efforts, I instilled that into my daughter. Um, and un- unfortunately, probably bullied my husband into that in the beginning of our marriage because I was annoyed that he wasn't moving 24 hours a day like I was. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, yeah. so the solution is instead of trying to calm down and, and, trying to manage this beast, which for a lot of us who are productivity junkies is most of the time we're awake. Sitting Mm -hmm. still is torture for a lot of us. So instead of trying to to squish that down, just carve out a piece of that to do something that isn't that. So it's honoring that little piece. So whether it's an hour a day, or it's a day of the week where you have certain hours, there's a lot of different ways you can start it. But for me, it's, I have boundaries for myself that I have to honor. Sometimes I'm better at it than others, depends on what's going on. But one of them I'm working on implementing again, because so much changed during this pandemic, everybody's habit anchors are all out of whack, which is why I almost feel so exhausted. So in the morning, I try not to to touch my phone until I've done, you know, my morning stuff. So my intentions, my visualization with my vision boards, my moving my body, like all the, the being in my own self before I take in the world stuff. And then there's a time where that goes off. And because I'm still healing, because my body is still not at hundred percent, I have to take some time in the middle of the day also to mm. not be stimulated. It's about stimulation, which is what we're looking for when we're productive. Yes. We're looking for that thing to solve that answer that, that, that I did it that happens when you are being productive. Like I got that thing yeah. done. And so when you can take whatever your main focus is, whether it's a business or your, your 
your, you know, your, you know, cleaning is also a productive thing in our, mm. in our productivity junkie worlds. A lot of us are I cleaning, that organizing constantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. Mine used to be that until I had my son. And then I'm like, I'm not, this is fruitless. Like I'm yeah, not chasing exactly. all day long. This is insane. I've got to figure something else to do with all this energy, but yeah, it's, it's figuring out some time that you're going to do something that's not productive. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a lot harder than it sounds. Totally. Well, I forced this on myself and it wasn't even intentional to not be productive. It was, I had this vision, maybe this is my perfectionist, you know, but I had this vision of when we're all on zoom, not able to be together for Christmas, that we're all wearing matching hats. And that's fun, right? Like that's a fun (laughs) thing to look forward to. Yeah. And it forces you to not edit episodes that force you not to write copy. It forces you to do all these yes. things. Yes. It's definitely been a side benefit and I've had lots more downtime, mm-hmm. but it's, it, but I'm like, Oh God, I have to make 10 hats. Like it's actually causing me a little bit more stress. So, and that's one of the challenges <laughs> of, of being a productivity junkie or productivity recovery, because yes. you still overcommit to things that are the side <laughs> projects. The fun yeah. stuff is still sometimes trying to make it perfect, trying to make sure that you have all the pieces and uh, it's just a constant practice that we totally. have to, to maintain. Yeah. Totally. I do have another mantra. There's done is better than perfect, but I also, and I still believe this, even though I'm a productivity junkie and I like have trouble stepping away from my computer. Um, I say busy is not a badge of honor mm-hmm. and I will never answer a question when people say, how are you with, I'm so busy because I don't think I, I even though I'm a productivity junkie, I don't equate busy with worth. I just, I love what I'm doing and I get excited by it. And there's always more to do always, right? But it's not necessarily tied to my value, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's an important differentiation to make. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's difficult to understand that until you've had the thing that you love to do taken away. And then you say, and then you are surprised with the question, well, what am I worth now? And so yes, you don't know that until sometimes it's, it's gone and you have nothing else but to ask yourself that question. But, you know, having other things that you're interested in are important. The other part of this is my, the mantra that I agree with the ones you're mentioning, because those are ones I've been leaning into for a couple of years as well. Mm -hmm. The other one that I have to remind myself of constantly is make plans and remain flexible. Mm -hmm. This is that I want things to go a certain way. Like you're like, when you talk about the 10 hats, I'm like, I would have lost it. If I tried to do that, And not somebody didn't get their hats on time when we got together or something like that, I would feel frustrated. And I actually have um, an example, a couple of Christmases ago, I wanted us all to have Christmas jammies that match, you know, very, very trendy. It has been for a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, But I like the idea. My daughter loves this kind of stuff where we all are looking at, looking like a unit. She just loves it. So I want to meet her. Yeah. Yeah. and the last two years, for whatever reason, we weren't able to make it happen. And the first year it happened, I was so angry that it was my husband's pajamas that he either didn't pick or he, he waited too long to like figure out his size or whatever. And I was so frustrated. I didn't say anything, but I was internally frustrated that this perfect image that I had in my head wasn't come to fruition. Yeah. And then this year, by this year, I've had done it the last two years. I'm like, and if it does, it does. Yeah. Whatever. Wear a red shirt. I don't care. What, yeah. <laughs> whatever we're going to have is what we're going to have. So making the plans and remaining flexible to a variation of that plan mm-hmm. is something that I've been practicing as well as the done is better than perfect. Yeah. Practice is how you make progress, all of those things. Well, it's interesting. I, um, 
our son is on the autism spectrum and has ADHD. And one of his things is inflexibility with plans. Yep. Like, so once it's set in his head, so, and we learned that even before, long before his diagnosis, we knew that was his thing and we would see him kind of get upset. Mm -hmm. And so we got to a point, even when he was like six and we'd say, okay, we're going to go here. And then we'd say, but we might actually change that order around. Like we just say, you know, we'd preemptively tell him that the plans might change. And I mean, maybe that was causing him uncertainty and discomfort. And I feel terrible now thinking about it, but we tried to teach him from a very young age that plans can change and we have to be flexible and it's always all going to be okay. So I think through motherhood, that message repeatedly to him has actually helped me be able to pivot and always come out knowing that the destination can remain the same, but the way we get there will change, right? Yes. It could change. Yes, it could change. Yeah. Be open to it. Changing. Yeah, exactly. Because we don't have, as much as we like to think, we don't actually have control over most of the variables. <laughs> when really, the thing especially learned us. in 2020. <laughs> so. That's for sure. Yeah. Awesome. I have a few questions I want to ask you before yeah. we wrap up that I ask almost all of my guests. So the first one would be, And especially now that you've come through what you've come through, how do you define balance for yourself and your family? Or do you, is that a thing that you actually believe in? So balance is a tough word for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think because while I was on my journey in my early 20s, through my 20s, you know, becoming a mom and having these businesses and whatnot, I think I kept trying to create balance. And so I have this negative connotation with the word specifically balance because it always felt impossible to me to have balance. So for me, I think it comes down to what am I in alignment? That's the where I've landed for myself Mm. is the alignment of, because some, there are some days some weeks, some months this year where my daughter has needed more of my attention. And so there has been less attention somewhere else, or I've needed more of my attention and I've needed to let go of being the mom, the wife, and the and the, the friend that I want to be, so I mm-hmm. could take care of myself. And so for me, it's this con- conscious effort to say, what do I need, and how how can I take care of the people that I feel responsible for? And yeah. that that is the balance I'm looking That's for, huge. I guess. Yeah, the alignment. Huge. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's huge. All right. How do you practice? I mean, I think what you just said is one of the ways probably, but how do you practice self-care? What does that look like for you? So self-care is literally the only way that I will not relapse into my health issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Because what I learned is that my, it was a stress response freak out. Um, So my nervous system completely shut down and melted down. And um, so self-care is the only way that I will survive. And it's something that I still struggle with, even knowing that. And so self-care for me is a regular I have reminders in my phone. I have, um, my husband knows what to look for when I start looking like I'm getting a little twitchy so he can remind me, have you done the things that you know? So self-care for me in this pandemic, especially with winter having now hit, it snowed Mm -hmm. here yesterday. Oh, wow. um, Is my, actually my best friend and I started doing this thing where we're doing treading water together. So there are three things that we need to do each week and we pick them individually. I have started gardening this year. um, And so I, I take care of my plants. It's a nice. silly little quirky thing I do, but that helps me get out of my head. It's a plant's not asking for anything other than water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can take care of that. I also do, I draw mandalas. Um, oh, amazing. Just a, oh my gosh. It's so much fun. You can see them behind me right back yeah. here. Um, and so something I can do that's kind of meditative and helps me refocus and kind of be in the moment. And then the third thing I do is um, walk and talk. So 
you know, I haven't seen my friends in nine months. Yeah. But even longer than that for most of my friends who live out of state. And so we'll text each other and say, Hey, uh, I need to get out of the house for 15 minutes. Can you talk? And so we will get bundle up wherever we are and do a walk around the neighborhood and talk to each other on the phone to kind of check. Amazing. In going. Yeah. I so love those it. are, those are the, the intentional self-care things we're doing for the mental health season. Yes. Of winter. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. I love all of those. I love coloring mandalas. So maybe we should get together and I'll color yes, your I'll send you some. Yeah, you can color <laughs> mint. Nice. Awesome. Okay. Last question. What is the biggest lesson you have learned as a mom? I think my journey to becoming my truest self started when mm. I had my son. Mm. And it's because I was willing to forgo what I needed to make other people happy until he was here. And then there was nobody I wanted to be safer and more, more protected than him. So then I was able to step fully into my power, starting to step fully into my mm -hmm. power. Um, and so I think the lesson of humans need each other is what I really gained from having my son. I was so extremely independent. I wanted to prove that I could do it all by myself. I didn't need anybody. I would make it all happen without anybody else. Uh, and not in a cold, ab abrasive way, just I didn't want to ask for help. I wouldn't receive help. And when you're a mom, that is not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but so many moms refuse to ask for help as well, right? It's hard. It's mm -hmm. really hard to ask for help. But the biggest lesson is that I'm willing to do the hardest thing, which is say hard things, ask for hard things, grow in hard ways because I have this little guy and now this yeah. little girl watching me. And do I want this life I'm living for them? And if mm. not, then I need to, I have to be willing to do the hard work so that they have a better chance of living their truest life. And That's so huge. those, those are hard lessons. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you. That's awesome. Now, yeah, how, yeah, it's, yeah, sorry. I'm just moved by that. How can our listeners find out yeah, more thanks. about you, follow you, connect with you, all the things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a podcast called Bully, Boldly Becoming You. Awesome. Um, and our online free community is also called Boldly Becoming You. And um, you can go to rulesofrebellion.com, which is our website. And you can have all the links, all the free stuff, vision board, um, clarity questions. Uh, there's a whole bunch of journaling prompts in there. There's tons of stuff to help people kind of get moms, especially get back in tune with who they are. Perfect. Okay. I will put all of those links into the show notes. This has been awesome. You have such an inspiring story and I really want to acknowledge you for coming through it and now pivoting into offering your wisdom and learning to others to help them through it as well. So really thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very happy to share whatever I can to help shorten somebody else's path. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Do you ever feel like you've lost your spark a little there's overwhelm. There are so many obligations. You're overseeing all of the things. Mom life is awesome, but it's also exhausting. And sometimes you feel like you can't get any space for yourself. Does that sound familiar? 
Well, it is time to reignite that spark. It's time to reignite your energy, your health, your confidence. It's time to reignite your life. And that is why I am so excited to introduce to you Mom Camp Ignite. It is a monthly membership with a private platform where you have access to incredible experts. We're going to have monthly calls where they're going to teach us about topics directly related to mom life. We're going to be talking about stress management. We're going to be talking about decluttering, body positivity, sexual health, all of the things that can help us live our very best lives. We're also going to have personal development opportunities, inspiration, weekly mindset check-ins and support, and monthly virtual happy hours. But it is more than that. It is a community. In this season, it can feel pretty isolating and the loneliness can be real. We need our village around us. Mom Camp Ignite is a community of incredible moms just like you, there to support each other through the challenging times of mom life and to celebrate our wins. It's going to be awesome and I really hope to see you there. You can go to momcamplife.com slash ignite for all the details. All right, mamas, that's it for today. For more info about this episode, you can check out the show notes at momcamplife.com slash podcast. Hang out with us on Instagram at momcamplife. And if you love this episode, please share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in and join us next time around the campfire.